Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anish Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about palliative care with Dr. Dmitry Koshevnikov. Dr. Koshevnikov is an assistant professor at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. So, Dmitry, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and what exactly you do. I'm an internist by training and a palliative care physician. And what this means is that after medical school, I chose to specialize in internal medicine, uh, giving me the um, training to treat a variety of diseases that affect adults. After graduation, internists can either pursue work in general medicine in the hospital or primary care practices, or they can continue their training by pursuing a fellowship in specialties, subspecialties like cardiology, infectious disease, and many others. And I was fascinated by the idea of specialty palliative care training, knowing that it would provide me with a unique skill set to help me provide patient-centered, compassionate care to patients with serious illness. Palliative care is a type of specialized medical care for people living with a serious illness. And this type of care is focused on providing relief from the symptoms of the illness and also the stresses that come along with it. And the goal really is to help people live better. It's provided by a specially trained team of doctors, nurses, and many other specialists who work together with a patient's other doctors to provide an extra layer of support. So, you know, palliative care is one of these things that is... A little bit fuzzy, I think, to uh, many people. Um, some people think of palliative care uh, as hospice. Some people think of palliative care as pain management. Some people think of palliative care as um, death panels. Um, and yet, uh, palliative care, the way that you've described it, seems more like um, part of medical practice. Um, So can you help kind of differentiate it from uh, those other things? Absolutely. And I always emphasize that palliative care is really based on the needs of the patient and not the prognosis of the disease. Um, It's appropriate at any age and any stage of an illness and can be provided alongside curative treatments. Hospice is very different, and there's a lot of overlap between palliative care and hospice. But hospice is really the benefit of that is additional support for patients who are living with a terminal illness and a prognosis many times of less than six months. So many of our patients in palliative care, especially in our clinic, are undergoing treatment for their cancer for different lengths of time, sometimes many years. And while we see our patients in our clinic, Palliative care can also be delivered in multiple other settings like hospitals, nursing homes, uh, or even patients' homes. And so so it, it seems to be different than hospice. How is palliative care different from pain management? Yeah, pain management is certainly one of the um, aspects and domains of uh, medical care that we cover in palliative care. There's so much um, to be said about um, physical symptoms that patients uh, undergo and, and experience with their cancer, um, but also non-physical symptoms like anxiety, depression, 
uh, insomnia. These are all other things that we screen for when patients come to see us. Um, pain management is something that there's a strong focus on in the training, and uh, we're really proud of how well we can treat pain, especially given what's going on in the media uh, with opioids. And we know how to do this safely, and we, we put in place many measures to to make sure that patients are uh, getting access to pain treatment for their cancer in a safe way. But it seems like palliative care is more than pain management. Um, it, it's kind of that um, extra layer of support that you mentioned um, and, and working with a team of doctors and nurses and, you know, often chaplains and uh, pharmacists and social workers and all kinds of people to really um, assess and, and help uh, with the needs of the patients in many different domains. Is that right? That's totally right. And he's, uh, palliative care is way more than just the pain management aspect of it. We, we really um, do a lot for patients from the beginning, um, starting with basically getting to know who they are as people outside of their medical history and their medical records. So what things like what is important to them? Who is important to them? What are their goals? What are they looking forward to? Because we know that it's only once we learn about these vital aspects of uh, people's lives that we can deliver the best care to them. Um, we also know that multidisciplinary care has been shown to be more effective than when we provide care in silos. So when we work together um, in a team of people that have different expertise, um, as we do, and, and many other fields um, have borrowed this as well, uh, we find that we can uncover areas of distress that we may not have found if we just looked at it from one narrow point of view. And so, you know, Dimitri, some may push back and say, you know, you talk about palliative care is providing the best quality of care for patients in a multidisciplinary approach and getting to know the patient um, beyond their medical diagnosis to kind of take care of the whole patient. But some may push back and say, well, I thought that's what doctors do. I, I thought that doctors, you know, are supposed to get to know me as a patient and, and treat the whole patient. Why do I need palliative care? Why can't my doctor, uh, who's managing my illness, whatever that illness may be, cancer or anything else, um, do all of the things that you do? I'm glad you brought that up, Anise. And one of the big challenges that we face is that there simply aren't enough palliative care specialists to care for all of patients with serious illness. Uh, one study in 2017 highlighted something pretty startling that um, there's uh, estimated one oncologist for every 140 newly diagnosed cancer patients in the U.S., but there's only about one palliative care physician for every 1,200 patients with serious illness. So um, this projected uh, growth also looking forward is only about 1% for of uh, palliative care specialists over the next 20 years. So one of the main things and one of the uh, focuses that we have in our work is to teach these skills to our colleagues in other areas of medicine like primary care, critical care, oncology, and, and other specialties so they can help us address all of these needs that we as a nation face with serious illness. And the palliative care specialists like us can be called in to help in situations which would benefit from a higher level of expertise. So um, like you said, you know, I, I encourage everyone to ask whether palliative care is available to you. And if it is, please take advantage of it. If, if you aren't sure if it's available, then ask your medical team. 
And so how do you know if you're a patient? I mean, because the way that you describe palliative care, it seems like everybody should want palliative care, even if they're, you know, especially not at the end of a a terminal illness, right? Uh, You mentioned that palliative care is something that can be used uh, in addition to curative approaches, that it kind of takes care of the whole patient, that it looks at what your needs are in various domains. It seems like that should be something that everybody uh, should want as part of standard medical care. So how do you know when palliative care is something that you particularly need or this higher end palliative care where you need a palliative care specialist? Yeah, I I think that palliative care can be introduced to a patient at any stage of a serious illness, you know, starting at diagnosis. But one of the challenges is trying to figure out when palliative care um, support is most helpful. And I think the studies that are being done now and and in the future are really trying to figure out the optimal timing of referral to palliative care. So what I would say is that anyone is eligible for palliative care services with a serious illness from diagnosis throughout any point. Um, But what makes most sense, especially because it's an extra visit and it's an extra team, what makes the most sense is really when patients have symptoms that are um, burdensome, that aren't being being managed uh, or have opportunities to manage better, and these symptoms are interfering with their day-to-day function and uh, what they want to actually uh, achieve with their goals. And so, so talk a little bit more about the kinds of patients that you see and the kinds of symptoms that you treat, because I can imagine that many people are listening to this kind of saying to themselves, well, you know, it sounds really great, but I really don't know still what, what it entails. I mean, when you say symptoms, do you mean things like, you know, I underwent chemotherapy and my hair fell out and that was really problematic for me? Or do you mean psychosocial distress where, you know, I was going through uh, a cancer journey and um, found that some of the relationships that I thought I had uh, were not as strong as they might have been? Or um, maybe it's financial distress is the thing that is most problematic to me. You talked a little bit about pain control. Tell us a little bit more about what exactly it is that you do. Yeah, so palliative care teams screen for common symptoms that are seen within the populations that they treat. So, for example, um, at Smilo Cancer Hospital and our palliative care team, we assess uh, patients for common symptoms like, in addition to pain, nausea, fatigue, uh, insomnia, mood issues like anxiety and depression and existential distress. And all of these could either be coming from the cancer itself or from the treatment that is being given for the cancer. So, um, you know, uh, when we run into things like spiritual distress and, and actually screen for them proactively and financial distress, like you mentioned, we are, we find that the earlier that we uncover these sources of distress, the better we can provide support to address them and also make it much easier for patients to get through their treatments, which is our optimal goal. So. You know, I can imagine that, well, let me ask you this. Um, in 
in in cancer centers, uh, it seems to me that not all cancer patients would be offered palliative care, is particularly given uh, the paucity of of uh, availability of palliative care specialists, as you mentioned. Um, so, is that something that um, should be routine that every cancer patient should at least be introduced to palliative care? Or is it something where um, you you would recommend that uh, only when a primary care team or medical team cannot manage particular issues, palliative care is called in? In an ideal world, um, I really wish that every cancer patient could be introduced to a palliative care team, and that would be a really wonderful model of care. And that's something maybe we can uh, strive towards, at least screening for the patients that would be highest, um, would benefit the most from palliative care. Um, What we find is that we just end up working together with the patient's primary uh, medical team to figure out what issues um, are, well, sort of fall within the primary palliative care skill set or skills that everyone in medicine should have, and which ones require a little bit more expertise. And, and those are the patients that uh, we really love to, to be involved with because, you know, you know, we were so proud of the training that we have and also the interdisciplinary team that we have to address much of these things. You know, when, as you talk about palliative care and all of the things that you do, um, I, I think about um, people who may be getting care out in the community where there are not these resources. And after we come back uh, from taking a brief break for a medical minute, I want to talk about how those people can get um, kind of palliative care where they live as well. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital, hosting an event in honor of Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, March 16th. Register at YaleCancerCenter.org or email CancerAnswers at Yale.edu. There are over 16.9 million cancer survivors in the U.S. and over 240,000 here in Connecticut. Completing treatment for cancer is a very exciting milestone, but cancer and its treatment can be a life-changing experience. The return to normal activities and relationships may be difficult, and cancer survivors may face other long-term side effects of cancer, including heart problems, osteoporosis, fertility issues, and an increased risk of second cancers. Resources for cancer survivors are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as the Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital, to keep cancer survivors well and focused on healthy living. The Smilo Cancer Hospital Survivorship Clinic focuses on providing guidance and direction to empower survivors to take steps to maximize their health, quality of life, and longevity. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Dmitry Koch. Koshefnikov. We are learning about the field of palliative care in the outpatient setting. And right before the break, Dimitri, you know, you were talking a lot about palliative care and the fact that there is a nationwide uh, uh, 
paucity of palliative care specialists that really palliative care in the ideal world would be introduced to every patient who had a critical illness um, and that this really is much more than simply hospice or pain control. In this country, we have people being diagnosed every day uh, in every center in America. And some of those are blessed to be large academic centers, but there are people who are being diagnosed in smaller centers, and yet they may have some of the same symptoms, issues, and other crises of other cancer patients. In some of these smaller centers, they will try to piece together a palliative care team that's not really called palliative care. They might uh, bring in a pain management specialist from anesthesia to deal with pain. They might have a social worker to deal with financial issues uh, and psychosocial distress. Uh, they may have a chaplain to deal with existential uh, crises and and this um, issue of, of spirituality that some cancer patients face. Um, what are your thoughts on on that? Is that helpful for patients? You know, palliative care has been one of the fastest growing fields in medicine as so many patients, clinicians, payers, and policymakers have really recognized its potential to improve quality of care for patients with serious illness. Uh, unfortunately, we're still at a place where there are areas in the country that um, don't have access to palliative care. And I think that's where advocacy comes in within our field, um, especially with recent legislation that is being worked on to um, attack this issue from multiple angles. Number one, increase the um, uh, funding for education of palliative care specialists. Also, um, uh, not only palliative care specialists, but also general primary care palliative uh, skills that any clinician should have. Um, and number two, um, increase ways that we can, um, you know, really promote a healthcare system that um, rewards us for the quality of care that uh, we can give to our patients rather than um, rewarding us for the number of patients that we see. Um, and so, you know, despite this growth, you know, unfortunately, there are still barriers to accessing palliative care for millions of patients. And this really varies by hospital size and geography and staffing. Um, but what I would say is that the interdisciplinary approach that you mentioned, even if there isn't a, a, an official palliative care team that's been well-developed yet, um, that's a start. And I think that that's a really a step in the right direction. When do you think patients who may be at a smaller center and may be getting kind of this piecemeal um, palliative care ought to ask for referral to a larger center uh, for a particular palliative care consultation? Is that something that people should be thinking about or is that not really something that is done? Well, I can't speak for um, all of the programs across the country, but what I can say is that it's quite challenging for um, a program to take on patients from outside the system, unless the patient's already getting care within that system. So I think it comes down to a continuity of care issue. It's so helpful for us to work so closely with our colleagues here in oncology, in the outpatient setting, and then all of the other specialties in the hospital, because we all um, just communicate very smoothly. We all know the patient, and it really um, promotes this patient-centered care. I think um, the 
best way to approach that issue is really to for uh, physicians, nurses, uh, nurse practitioners, and others within each system, healthcare system, um, local system, to really advocate for this kind of support for their patients. And that that might uh, really make the difference over the long term in um, leadership, putting resources towards dedicated palliative care teams that can, um, you know, add an extra layer of support. And, and you know, to that end, um, all of the healthcare administrators who are, are listening to us are thinking, yes, that's yet another expense um, in an already uh, very tight uh, healthcare system. Um, so talk to us a little bit more about evidence-based outcomes of palliative care services and um, whether there is, in fact, data that supports um, palliative care services as improving quality of care, perhaps uh, longevity, um, does it, and, and, and even further, uh, is there any evidence for its cost effectiveness? Yeah, we have some fascinating evidence to support the early involvement of palliative care, particularly in oncology patients, but in other um, diseases as well. And one of the pivotal studies in our field was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2010. And this was led by our colleagues at Mass General, Dr. Temel and her team. And the researchers recruited a group of patients with lung cancer who volunteered to be randomized to two different groups. One group received standard oncology care, and the other group, the comparison group, received standard oncology care plus early palliative care. And what they found was sort of incredible. The patients in the early palliative care group had better symptom control, they had better mood, better quality of life scores, and they had less intensive care at the end of life. And they also lived on average two months longer than the patients who did not have any exposure to palliative care. And this was really a huge aha moment for our field when we really could demonstrate the specific benefits of palliative care involvement when it comes to things that really matter to patients. And so with that less intense use of resources at the end of life, did that study or any other study demonstrate cost effectiveness of palliative care? In other words, was there an offset in terms of the cost of hiring palliative care specialists um, versus the cost of um, treatments at the end of life, which may not have been helpful? Yeah, there's some really strong data um, to support the um, to support the resources of having a palliative care team in the hospital, um, which has shown in multiple different studies to minimize um, healthcare utilization at the end of life, which saves um, the system money. But that's not really what we focus on, and that, that's not the most important part of this. The the real important part of this is that we align um, we align what's important to the patients with what the care that they receive is. So, uh, for example, patients who want to spend whatever time they have at home um, and not be in the hospital back and forth, you know, which obviously is a burden to a lot of people, um, those patients um, receive care that is aligned with that. Um, and, and that's that's really our, our motivation and our daily focus and re- rewarding uh, nature of this of this field. 
Yeah, no, I get that completely, Dimitri. But uh, the healthcare administrators who are looking at hiring palliative care specialists um, and are thinking about the additional cost of doing so are often also thinking about its cost effectiveness. So it's nice when um, you can provide evidence that not only does palliative care align with the patient's interests, but it also aligns with um, the healthcare system's interest in terms of reducing healthcare costs while at the same time um, improving quality. So the next question I have is this, you know, you did a, a fellowship in palliative care. Um, in order for a healthcare system to provide palliative care services, do they need fellowship trained palliative care specialists like you? Or is it possible for them to train up their existing workforce, whether it's nurses or physicians, to provide them some palliative care training uh, that so that they may be able to provide um, these kinds of resources to their patients without um, uh, going through a, a fellowship training or hiring somebody who, who has fellowship training in palliative care? Yeah, the, the standard of care really is to have um, board-certified palliative care physicians uh, on the team. But that being said, there are many ways that healthcare systems can invest in their current staff by providing training um, for, for example, the nurses uh, in the hospital taking care of patients on different in different settings, whether it's in the middle um, critical care unit or on the normal regular floor, um, investing in them to provide training on the primary palliative care skills that could really help them provide aligned care um, and then really patient-centered care at all levels and all stages of disease. Um, and so, obviously, we would all love to have uh, you know board-certified physicians on staff, uh, but you know that's really been a challenge, and I think it's going to be a challenge. Uh, looking forward. I think we can address that through uh, investing in other ways. And so, you know, you you mentioned that palliative care can be offered in a variety of settings. So certainly in the critical care units, on the oncology units, in the hospital. But your main um, area is, is in the outpatient clinic. Is that right? And can you tell us a little bit more about how palliative care differs um, from inpatient services to outpatient. Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm I'm lucky enough to actually have a few weeks a year where I'm working in the hospital with our inpatient palliative care team as well. So I'm able to see patients both in the clinic setting and then also help them when they're in the hospital with an acute issue. Um, and that there um, is a lot of overlap between the work that we do in the clinic and the work that we do in the hospital. Um, one of the beautiful things is that when one of our patients, you know, who we know and, and they know us has an issue um, and they're admitted to the hospital, they have a team that already knows them and has to develop the relationship with them to come and, and check in on them, see what's going on, see if there are um, unaddressed symptoms or other um, aspects of their palliative care needs that we could um, add on to to what the primary medical team is doing. Um, the main difference is really between the two settings is that um, obviously 
in the outpatient setting, we're able to develop relationships over longer periods of time. Um, and, and that really is, is very rewarding to me. And presumably the other issue is that going back to something that you mentioned before the break, um, you know, not all of these patients that you see, particularly in the outpatient setting, are, quote, at the end of life. Um, so some of these may be, you know, dealing with symptoms that they may have developed, uh, undergoing active treatment for curative intent. Um, and you're, you're kind of seeing them through that process where they're able to come to an outpatient clinic and um, avail themselves of your services. Is that right? Yeah. So many of our patients are with us for years and years and they are living with serious illness. For example, cancers like breast cancer, with, which have, uh, which have um, amazing treatments that are coming out over the last few years, um, really impacting patients' lives and allowing them to live longer. And other uh, hematologic cancers, for example, are, are more like chronic illnesses that people live with for a long time. So we've really found our niche in helping those patients live better. Dr. Dmitry Koshevnikov is an assistant professor at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.